Welcome to episode three of the Sports Physio Alaska Experience podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Susanna Rogers. Today's show is brought to you by Runner's Edge Alaska, a sports physical therapy clinic in Anchorage, Alaska, helping runners reach their full potential. Today, I sat down with Dr. Jennifer Bell, who is a physical therapist and a director of clinical education at the University of Montana Physical Therapy School. Enjoy the show. And I'm super happy to have Dr. Jennifer Bell here with me. She is um, first a clinician, but also she is the director of clinical education at the University of Montana in Missoula. And welcome, Jen. And I'm going to have you kind of tell us about yourself a little bit and we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks, Susanna, for having me on here. I'm really excited to just have this conversation with you. Um, so, uh, you know, a bit of my background, um, I grew up in Texas. I did um, my undergrad work at the University of Texas in Austin, um, did my master's of physical therapy at UT Southwestern. And then um, after graduating from PT school, I moved to Alaska, which is how uh, you and I first got connected. And so I um, was practicing in Anchorage um, and practiced in Anchorage for a couple of years before I moved to uh, rural Alaska, town of Seward, and practiced there for a little while and then also did some travel work across Alaska um, before moving to the University of Montana um, in 2013. So uh, just starting my 11th year here at University of Montana. Wow, that is amazing. Um, looking back, we've been physical therapists for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. So, <we> have. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's a question for you, Jen. Um, did you always want to be a PT? How did you get into a PT profession? Yeah, you know, there's on a, um, my kind of path into, you know, exploring physical therapy as a profession was a little bit similar to yours. Um, you know, growing up, I kind of thought, you know, I want, I want to go into healthcare. And um, growing up in rural East Texas, there weren't a lot of models for like what options there were in healthcare. And so um, I thought, okay, well, if I want to go into healthcare, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. And, um, you know, unfortunately, at that time and in that place, I got a lot of people telling me things like, oh, it's going to be really hard, you know, it's hard to be a doctor and be a mom and, you know, kind of that, a little bit of that, like, gender discouragement. Um, and so as I was at the University of Texas, um, I was an athlete. I was on the university's rowing team and got some exposure to physical therapy. And I thought, you know, this was a really cool option that I had no idea about growing up. And so explored some more and, you know, really thought, like, this is a a great opportunity to work with people to be um, in a very active profession and have more time with my patients. And so um, decided to go down that path of physical therapy. Um, you know, I, I look back now and I, I'm you know, deeply happy with my choice to go into physical therapy and ultimately into academia. Um, but I also wish I hadn't, you know, bought into some of that, like, gender-based discouragement of going into a profession that I was interested in. And so, you know, I yeah. hope for, for future, for my daughters that, you know, they, they don't experience that. Um, but I'm really happy um, as a physical therapist and really enjoy uh, working at the University of Montana and, and working with um, you know, young people as they start on their path towards physical therapy. Absolutely. And, 
your story is very, very similar to my story as well. And many other PTs that I talk to, you know, we get so discouraged about trying to go and and try to achieve our goals in maybe orthopedic surgery. That's where I wanted to go. And I heard from right and left, this is really hard field to get to as a woman. And um, I should not even try. So, but, you know, I would not change it for anything. I'm so happy being physical therapist. I've been a physical therapist for 20 years. And I think it's the really, really best lifestyle and profession I could ever wish for. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, I think, so I graduated in 2006. So, you know, this is 17 years for me. Um, So, you know, pretty similar timeframe that we've been practicing. And I agree. I think it's, um, it's, super rewarding. And there's a lot of things that I really appreciate about this profession that I think if I hadn't gone into medicine, it would be different for me. Um, I, you know, I, I still, I think from that experience and, and as I've done a lot of reflection over the years, it's helped me to say, to be more aware of when I'm getting discouraged from like my big goals and doing things to just take a second and be like, is this what I really want? Um, is there some truth or something to be understood from the things I'm hearing from people? What can I learn from that? But I, I definitely learned to not let other people's beliefs about my ability or whether or not a goal is worthy, um, to not let that impact me um, like I had in the past. I think it's one of the things I learned from that experience. Right on. Um, this is just another plug-in for the awesome PT profession. Um, so here's a question for you. You started to be a clinician. You, you, you started with a clinical work in physical therapy for many years. How did you end up in academia? What made, this, what made you switch? Yeah, you know, that, you know, I think I always kind of had a desire. I remember when I was in PT school, um, Dr. Patty Winchester was the chair of our department and just, you know, meeting with her and learning about her and thinking like, I think this is the type of job I want. Like this seems like a really awesome way um, to combine, you know, working with patients. What I love about patient care with um, education. I come from a family with a lot of educators in it and have always and deeply appreciated education and what that means. And so had that interest um, kind of from, from when I started PT school. And so you're right, I practiced for um, eight years. And, um, you know, I think that having that super solid foundation that time in clinical practice um, was really helpful for me in my transition to academia. And so, so having that time practicing and then, um, I did, like you, I did the um, doctorate of science program through the Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and, um, you know, had really great mentors and advisors there. And so um, you and I, within that program, had a little bit different path. So I um, focused on education for my dissertation work. And I actually um, set up a program and went to Ethiopia where I uh, worked with physiotherapist there um, in Ethiopia and teaching them kind of advanced skills and knowledge around birth of a patient with foot and ankle problems. And then different research. Yeah, it was a great experience. That's so cool. Yeah, it was really great. I've always had passion um, around working um, to improve education um, for physiotherapists all over the world and for working in those lower resource settings. So it was, it was just really, really rewarding experience. Um, and so that's what my dissertation work revolved around is 
is education in Ethiopia and specifically physiotherapy education. That's great. Well, let me ask you this. You brought a couple of really important points. The first one was that you did clinical work before you actually got into academia. And then your second point was that you had many mentors that helped you along the way. Can you speak more about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that you know, not every academic, not every, you know, professor in a physical therapy program has that time in clinical practice. Some go straight from their GPT into a PhD program. Um, but for me, it really, it really helps me figure out what I wanted to do. And on, I don't know. I worked with you at my first job. And um, when I started as a physiotherapist, I was like, I am going to be a neurophysical therapist. This one I'm going to do. And um, I pretty quickly was like, I am not a neurophysical therapist. Like, this is not my jam. Um, and so I, you know, had some time working in that while also working with patients with neurological disorders and um, diagnoses, but also working with you as a mentor of mine. And um, with our other colleagues and learning a lot about manual therapy and working with orthopedic patients, patients with complex chronic pain and was like, I, I kind of needed that time to kind of figure myself out and to realize I don't love neuro. It's not my thing. I deeply respect the, you know, my colleagues that work in that area, um, but it just wasn't for me. And so then, you know, kind of transitioned into more, um, you know, orthopedics. Um, but then I moved to rural Alaska where I, you know, I was in a town of 2,500 people. The next closest physical therapy clinic um, besides our hospital was uh, probably uh, our clinic in Anchorage, which is two plus uh, hours away. And so, you know, I did everything from wound care, acute care, still nursing, um, outpatient ortho, neuro, oh gosh, I had a couple of peds patients. Those were tough for me. Um, so again, more time broadening my experience, um, kind of figuring out what it is that I wanted and that I was passionate about. Um, that time was really important for me um, and, and who I became as a professor and as an academic. So I think that that's why that clinical practice time was so essential for me is um, I just needed to do some like figuring out of who I am, what I wanted, what felt right for me as far as what I wanted um, to kind of focus my career on. And so, um, you know, that was a really important piece of why I really am glad I took the time to spend in clinical practice before going into academia. Yeah, uh, no, thank you for that. And I think that's a very important point. Because when we leave physical therapy school, we are taught the very basics in many different areas of physical therapy. And it's impossible to really know which of these branches in physical therapy you're going to be good at, what your passion is. So uh, having that general knowledge and getting your feet wet in many different areas is super, super important. Um, Talk about of your mentors. Who were your mentors and why they were so important in your journey? Yeah, well, you know, it's certainly, um, you know, I think about kind of the first person that mentored me, like on my physical therapy path. And um, I, as an athlete at the University of Texas, um, we had some like academic advisors of folks that worked with us. And there was one gentleman, uh, Mike Sanders. His wife was actually the, is a physical therapy professor um, at Texas State University. And 
he works with athletics and academics until he knew I was applying to PT school. And he's like, all right, you need to come in and um, sit down and do a practice interview. And I said, now I'm like, and you know, first question she asked me is, like, you know, why do you want to be a physical therapist? And I was like, I want to help people. And he's like, no, I can't remember. who doesn't want to help people, Jen? You know, and he really forced me to stop and to really deeply dig in and to better understand my values and passion in what I was doing, because this going to grad school is a really big commitment that I was going to have to make. And so it wasn't just to be able to like do better in my interviews so I could get a seat, but it was for, he really forced me to, you know, deeply reflect and dig into my why. Um, and I hadn't really thought to do that. I think sometimes, you know, I, you know, my parents always talked to me about going to college and then you get in college and you're kind of like, oh, you decide which way you're going. And I hadn't really forced myself to stop and deeply reflect. And so, you know, Mike was a great mentor to help me to solidify my why around physical therapy school. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's really hard to dig deep into what you really want to do as a person. Yeah, yeah. especially when you're 22. I mean, I just, you know. I, I just hadn't done that. So I really appreciate that. And then, you know, when I took my first job, um, you know, working with you in Anchorage, um, certainly you were one of my mentors on Mark Roulette and Patty Nelson. I mean, I just had so many great people that I worked with that, um, you know, helped me see what excellence looks like um, and not just like, you know, oh, here's a photocopy of the low back exercises that we do for patients with low back pain that, you know, I had seen in some of my observations. And so I remember one day in our, back in our office, Susanna and, um, and, and Patty Nelson was talking about patient care stuff. And I just remember sitting there going like, oh my God, I'm never going to be that good. She's so smart. It seems like it comes so easy. And then she mentioned she'd been practicing for I think at the time it's like 26 years and I was like oh I'm 26 years old okay so she's been doing this as long as I have been turning oxygen into carbon dioxide okay that's right yeah I know yeah and it's the experience that you just collect you know what they say it's the 10,000 hours of practice of deliberate practice that makes you good in what you do yeah exactly and to sort of see folks that were not only, you know, achieving the excellence, but you were a few years ahead of me and seeing you, you know, put in the work and the hustle to gain that good quality experience was really formative. And I, it was great mentorship um, to really start to see what does lifelong learning and a lifelong commitment to excellence and providing, you know, the highest possible care for our patients, what that looks like. It was really, uh, really formative. Yeah, absolutely. So now you're in academia and you're able to share your knowledge and experience with the students that are kind of um, under your mentorship. Can you compare and contrast clinical focused career and then academia focused career? And I think our listeners might want to know about what is kind of the work-life balance? How do you structure your day, your year, and um, just kind of everything that goes with academia life? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, making the transition from clinical practice to academia, I think it was, um, I was a little naive on how, I don't know why I was naive about this, but um, I think it was surprised at how different being in clinical practice was for being in academia. Um, but, you know, I talk with um, students 
you know, I, I have advisees that are my advisees, but also do a lot of mentorship with um, all of our students in our program. And, you know, talking with them, one of the fun things about working in clinical education within academia is I spend a lot of time working with students about what their career goals are. Um, so not just, you know, what's going on in this class or what do you need to do to graduate, but really talking about what their career goals are for the first kind of few years and even long term for them, because then we can make really good decisions about um, what clinical experience will help them to be on that track. You know, we need to meet our requirements to get them to entry level clinical practice, but we also really want to be able to tailor that experience to what they're looking for um, and what will set them up to be successful and then next steps in either their further education or their career. Um, and so, you know, getting that opportunity to hear from coming students about what they're thinking and really um, help to to encourage them to explore, you know, what their why is behind what they want to do and not just, um, you know, oh, you know, I, I work with the PT as an athlete and so I don't want to work with athletes, but like digging deeper into that. Um, and, you know, students that want to go into academia, you know, I talk with them a lot about there's a lot of different pathways going to go into academic practice. And, um, you know, one of the pathways, like I talked about, you know, I have a couple of colleagues that went straight from PT school into PhD program or, you know, doctor of science or uh, doctor of education pathways. Um, and so they went pretty quickly through that. They maybe had a, a postdoc fellowship and then they get their first job in academia. And oftentimes I see with those um, with those folks on our faculty and other faculties is they are doing a lot of um, research, clinical research, lab-based research, that type of stuff. Um, and then they're also teaching and engaged in service um, in the community, within the profession, within the university. There's also a path that's similar to mine where you're working with clinical education or you're a non-tenure faculty member. And that path oftentimes, um, you know, Oftentimes folks will have some clinical um, experience with some time that they worked in clinical practice. Um, and then they gain additional expertise, whether it's like I did getting a doctor of science degree or um, an advanced certification. Um, we have a colleague that has an MBA, those types of things. And then they move into um, teaching that also can include clinical practice in addition to that. So try to help students understand what those different paths are and that they can, just because they decide to start practicing after school doesn't mean then, then they've missed the opportunity to go into academics later. And um, that there's a lot of different ways that you can, after having some clinical practice, then move into um, you know, a teaching position within a university. And that can even be doing some adjunct teaching where you come in um, for certain courses or you're helping with labs, that kind of thing. There's a lot of options. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That's a great point. So a uh, question for you. If if listeners wonder if we have physical therapy students or uh, physical therapists that want to switch their clinical career into more education, academia-based, what kind of continuing education um, should a professor strive to get, for example? Do you have to yeah. have anything special? You know, there's, there's kind of several different ways to, to think about that. So um, 
I'll talk about uh, probably the easiest one to start with is so, uh, thinking about accreditation of the school therapy program. So we have some rules that are accrediting body outlines. And so um, within the faculty, um, we have a requirement that 50% of our faculty have terminal degrees. And so that can be a PhD, an EDD, which is a doctor of education, doctorate of science. Um, so those types of terminal degrees. Um, so that's what we have to ensure at, in any program that's accredited has to ensure that. So that doesn't mean you have to have one of those degrees, but if you do have one of those degrees, it can make it, it can open up more options for you when you start looking for a job in academics. So, you know, obviously that's a path you can go down is, is getting a terminal degree. For a lot of folks, that's a pretty big commitment um, and they're not sure, um, you know, if they want to make that big of a commitment and so one option to thinking about um, if you didn't want to go that direction or you don't want to go that direction right away is I would encourage folks to um, a good starting spot to learn more um, and get a better sense about academic teaching is going to the combined sections, meaning of the APTA. Um, when you go to that, there's going to be um, a number of courses that are put on by um, the uh, Academy for Physical Therapy Education. So it's the education section of the APTA. So you can start getting some continuing education around teaching and learning and um, what that looks like in a clinical environment, what that looks like in a classroom and lab environment. So that's a great opportunity to kind of get a variety of different information, start to build those connections, maybe identify some mentors that can help you on that path. Um, there's also the Education yeah. Leadership Conference that is, um, it comes up in October every year, and that is just purely about education and physical therapy. And so that's another great continuing education opportunity to kind of start to build a base, a better understanding of teaching and learning in our profession. Um, and again, building those, um, that networking connections and mentors. Yeah, thank you for that. And the next CSM is actually in February 15 to 17 next year in Boston. So hopefully we'll see many of you there. Um, no, thank you so much. That, that opens up a whole bunch of possibilities for our listeners as well. Um, I have another question. Yeah, go ahead. I have one more on um, kind of a long a suggestion on that, kind of how do I get on the path towards um, moving into academia? Um, I would reach out if you have a local PT program um, or a PTA program, reach out to that program and offer to come in and do a guest lecture, see if there's opportunity to, for them if they need like lab assistance in their classes. So starting to build that resume of these are talks I've given, um, this is the work I've done with students take students in the clinic. So do, serving as a clinical instructor, again, you're building that um, experience and expertise in teaching both in the classroom environment, lab environment, but also in the clinical environment. So just more ways that you can start to beef up your experience so that when you do decide, okay, I think I want to move into academia, you'll have that experience on your resume without having to have that like full-time job in academia. Yeah, absolutely. And building those connections is so, so important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in your PT career, in your clinical career and in academia, what kind of trends have you seen come and go? And how, how do you think the PT profession has changed since you've graduated? Yeah, you know, um, I'll kind of start with like what I've seen since 
you know, I've graduated to now and then kind of talk a little bit about some of the trends that I'm seeing towards the future. Um, certainly when I first started practicing, there was a lot of focus on, and, and I got a lot of experience and expertise and um, manual therapy. A lot of clinicians were using a lot of modalities, ultrasound, e-stem, um, we're, you know, still doing hot packs, cold packs, all of that. And not to say there's not a place for that in, you know, current clinical practice. Um, but we're seeing this increasing focus on active treatment mobility modalities. And, um, you know, that includes things like therapeutic exercise, uh, you know, doing, um, you know, neurological, you know, re-education, neuro-re-ed, that type of stuff to really, really moving away from the patient being a passive recipient of our care to the patient being an active person who's engaged in the decision-making of what we're doing in our care and that they're actively having to, um, you know, do exercise, learn new ways, move things like that, um, that we see that that's a lot more beneficial. And so, you know, like I said, doesn't mean we don't combine that with some of those other techniques, but there's just been a big shift towards that. Also within um, exercise prescription within our profession, we kind of realized um, we were underdosing. In particular, our older adults, um, patients that were sicker or more frail, we weren't. Oh, so true. That's so very true. You know, we really need to load these folks. Um, if we, you know, like three sets of 10, I mean, there's a place for that, but that does not need to be what physical therapists do all the time. We need to put patients in situations where they're only able to do three or four, maybe five reps because we're loading them really heavy to get the changes that we need at the tendon of the muscle to really help them pr be prepared for their everyday life, as well as the you know super active things that they want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So now that you're mentioning that um, we are saying shift away from the pure modalities more towards the empowering our clients, our patients to be a better version of themselves and, um, you know, lifelong care and ability to move and exercise. Uh, what do you see in academia? How is this changing at the front lines when we when we get students in schools? Yeah, you know, I think some of the big things um, that, uh, you know, there's shifts happening in is, you know, how we teach our students about therapeutic exercise, how we teach them about, um, you know, what it is that a tendon actually needs to be able to heal. Um, you know, it, it's not that we need to do lots of cross-structure massage, it's that we need to do having slow resistance training. And so that is coming that, you know, um, evidence-based um information is being taught to our students. So they're leading, I hear our students, um, you know, sometimes they'll work with a clinical instructor that's not doing that. And they talk to me about how do I, how do I talk to my CI about this evidence, what we're learning and do it in a professional, respectful way. And so that's one of the things that we're doing. Um, my area um, of expertise in teaching at the University of Montana is in clinical medicine. And so, you know, I'm doing a lot of work with our students about um, you know, exploring and better understanding, you know, the, maybe the chronic medical conditions that our patients come to us with. And, um, you know, there was this great podcast that I listened to a while back that talked about how um, sometimes we're really afraid with someone who is maybe a little bit sicker or has a heart condition or those types of things. We can be too afraid 
that we're going to hurt them by starting them on an exercise program that we don't do it. And we're actually causing more harm because exercise is so beneficial across so many conditions. And so to really start as healthcare providers to move away from that, that fear of harm from exercise to recognizing that there's very few circumstances and there they are, but they're very few that if we get our patient moving, um, we're going to do harm. We also have to be so careful with our language around exercising that we don't talk about too much about things that could go wrong that we scare the patient relative to exercise. So I've, I do a lot of work with that, especially um, you know teaching about work with individuals with cancer and that are undergoing cancer treatment. There's overwhelming evidence that for the vast majority of folks, physical activity helps with um, morbidity and mortality related to, related to cancer. It improves how they're responding to things like chemotherapy. And so really trying to help um, our students not walk away with being afraid to exercise individuals that have, um, you know, multiple com- comorbidities or dealing with, um, you know, a, an illness or injury. Yeah, that's so important. And, you know, there's always the talk, oh, I wish I find the, the magic pill to fix my whatever I have. Well, we have it. It's exercise is yeah. is gradual. Those things is the body adaptation. And as you said, we should not be afraid to load people. Um, that leads me up to um, another area. You know, when when people graduate from physical therapy school and then you get a few years of clinical um, experience under the belt, how do people stay um, on top of the happenings in the clinical research and um, even in academia? What kind of areas of printing education do we have as clinicians? Yeah, you know, that, and that sometimes can be one of the more overwhelming things in, in clinical practice and even in academia because there's so much research that is coming out and so much important work. And so it can be overwhelming. And, you know, I tell my students all the time that the Internet is bottomless and, um, you know, it's, it, you cannot consume every bit of information on a topic. Um, so I think, you know, looking to... Um, really high quality journals um, that are putting out research, reading those. Uh, I think that using their clinical practice guidelines are, are hugely important. There's so much work um, that goes into developing those and it can really help you to have a solid understanding of what is effective and also what is, is what is not effective for different conditions. So um, those are available on the APTA website. And, um, you know, it's not just for like patellofemoral pain, um, but everything, I just pulled one for a class I'm teaching right now on diabetes and, you know, how we um, can utilize exercise for folks with diabetes. So there's a lot of great resources under clinical practice guidelines um, that, you know, continuing education is such a huge component of um, maintaining and continuing to develop our excellence in our clinical skills, um, our excellence in how we engage with our patients. And so looking at, um, you know, how to decide what continuing education course you take, um, there's a number of factors to consider. You know, nowadays there's a lot of really cheap um, online courses that you can take and kind of squeeze them in here or there. Um, there's a place, so this is my opinion, there's a place for those. I utilize them at times. Um, but you know, we have to recognize that sometimes when we do, you know, a 
quick online continuing education. We're kind of flying through it as quick as we can. We take the quiz, we get the credit. And until it's not, it, it can be really great learning, but you as a learner have, have to be super committed to make sure that you are getting everything you can out of that online experience. And oftentimes with, you know, the busyness of life, um, we don't do that. Yeah. And then, you know, I kind of test myself too. I love continuing education and I have many courses sitting on on my desktop uh, that I bought and just never logged in or studied and never completed. So um, that is definitely true. And also, you know, in the past, I remember sitting at some of the continuing education courses, they were kind of boring, you know, you just sit there because they needed to be there or you needed the credits. So Mm -hmm. in I know you recently just started um, a, a great endeavor in continuing education. And may I ask you, like, how, tell us about it first, and how does that differ from the kind of the old school continuing education classes? Yeah, so we, so my colleague, Audrey Elias, and I um, started a company called Trailhead Learning Collective. And um it is in so many ways different from traditional continuing education. Um, so first off, um, Audrey teaches at the University of Montana with me, and we both dug in a ton to um, the science in teaching and learning and how adults learn. And so one of the things that is super important for us in all the courses that we teach um, is that we use evidence-based teaching techniques. So just like we expect our clinicians to use evidence-based practice, um, we're using evidence-based teaching. So looking at the science, what does it tell us about how adults can learn the best and retain information? So that's kind of the, the foundation for all the courses that we teach. Um, but we also saw, especially you know, through the pandemic and everything, that clinicians are exhausted um, folks are, are feeling burnt out and the traditional continuing education course oftentimes feeds into that. So, you know, there's this expectation, I'm going to go and I'm going to treat patients Monday through Friday. I'm going to be in eight hours of continuing education on Saturday and Sunday, and I'm back in the clinic on Monday. And while it might be cool when you learn some new stuff, overall, that's just really exhausting. And it's hard for us to um, really uh, you know, maintain that excitement we have about the profession when we're just feeling really burnt out. And so, you know, Audrey and I, we, we run together on the weekends and um, we're just thinking about like, what could we do different that would make folks still rejuvenated and excited and taken care of? while also doing our continuing education. And so we developed this retreat model. And so um, our retreats run from um, late afternoon on Friday through kind of early afternoon on Sunday. And um, with our retreats, we all come together. We stay in a big house. It's kind of like the real world, um, but way more collegial. Um, And so we um, stay in the house together. We bring in amazing professional chefs that cook all of our meals meals for us in-house. And um, each on Saturday and on Sunday, we have anyone some kind of three to four hours of time blocked uh, for adventure. And we have some planned adventures, but also too, you can always adventure by taking a nap or reading a book um, or going for a walk on your own. But what we have found, circling back to that evidence-based teaching, is that 
retention actually goes up in adults if you have breaks for physical activity. Um, and so, you know, what that physical activity does in the brain really creates changes that help you solidify that information so it can be retained. And so um, we do things like we had guided trail runs. Um, we have a winter retreat that we do where um, we stay at a lodge that's um, ski and ski out for 27 kilometers of groomed ski trails. Um, so you can go cross-country skiing. And so we build in these opportunities for physical activity. We also know that oftentimes, when you're out kind of moving your body and exercising with friends and colleagues, you end up having really great conversations about what you're learning, how you might use that in your clinical practice. And so it really um, allows folks to have foster connections with one another. And that's another piece that's really unique about our um, model of continued education. I think it's probably five years ago, I went to a course in San Francisco and and when I left that course, and it's partly on me, but partly just the environment, I didn't know a single soul at the end of that continuing education course. I, you know, of course, had some small talk with folks at, you know, the bad bagels and the kind of old coffee that we had. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, the person sitting next to me at the plants that, you know, we were sitting at for 16 hours. I didn't, I didn't know anyone. I didn't expand my knowledge of clinical practice or learn from the people that were with me. And so with our model, we really do a lot of collaborative learning. We expect folks to um, to share their expertise and what works in their clinical practice. And so um, you were at one of our treats um, this spring, and yeah. it was so, so great for you to share. It was, of course, um, provincial wellness for the running athlete, and it was so awesome for you to be able to not be expected to just sit there and listen to everything I had to say, but for Audrey and I to step back and let you share your knowledge and your expertise and the other folks in the room do that as well. Yeah. And it was amazing experience for me as well, because the course was really designed for um, physical therapists to kind of see um, what medical conditions can we be dealing with when we treat uh, runners. And it was amazing because first, you know, I met a lot of people within the course. Um, we ran and we implemented um, things that we learned in during our runs, especially nutritional contributions and all the other. But also I felt really rejuvenated coming back to Anchorage and training, treating my athletes back in the clinic, bringing all these experiences. So uh, good for you to starting this Trailhead Learning Collective. I think it's going to be really, really amazing option for clinicians to further their education, but in a really new and um, adventurous way, really. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I know that so many physical therapists, it's like so painful to just sit still for two days in a class. And so it's like, well, nobody wants to do that. What if we like built in time to like go and play and have fun and, um, and, and incorporate and think about the stuff that you're learning at the same time. So, yeah, I think it's, um, it's really fun. It's fun to do these retreats and, you know, we just are having our fourth retreat end of September. So it's going to be on navigating nutrition for the, as a physical therapist. Um, and it's really fun to see people come to our retreat for the first time. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is this is so different. And like to be out, you know, trail running and, and one of the women said like, I can't believe this is continuing education. I'm like, yes, 
it can be fun. It can, you know, build relationships and, and all of this stuff and be really educational. And so it's really fun to see folks um, experience it. Absolutely. It was, it was truly amazing. And I encourage everybody to, to look you up and we'll talk more about where people can find you. Um, another question for you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being a physical therapist for many, many years, where do you see PT profession develop in the next several years? And also, what kind of advice would you have for a new clinician to keep up with this development? You know, there's a couple of things that, um, you know, I see and, you know, looking at the future, there's a lot of um, movement within our profession into the wellness world. And um, I think it's great for us to be able to actually work with folks to keep them healthy, to keep them moving, to keep them functional and safe within their home for as long as they can be. And so that's really exciting um, for us to, as a profession, to really dig into wellness versus waiting until someone um, is injured or isn't able to do the things that they want to do or have a catastrophic event and then we intervene. And so, you know, that's really exciting. I think, um, you know, looking at for, for young clinicians and for students to think about how they can incorporate um, wellness into the work that they're doing. I see, you know, more and more folks, even, you know, clinics being based in gyms and um, that type of thing. So really exploring those as potential opportunities um, that can kind of just diversify the work that you do. Um, yeah, yeah, that's important. And I would even add, um, following with what you're teaching and the Trailhead Learning Collective, how um, important it is to know your other team members, let's say uh, your physician, your primary care provider, your nutritionist, or your coach, because it's not just you as a physical therapist taking care of your patient, it's the whole team. And we really need to know when it is appropriate to refer out or when the case can be pretty much ours when we can take care of that. Oh, yeah, that's so huge. I think that, um, you know, having a good network of providers, that's probably one of the the biggest things a young clinician needs to do is to develop that solid team of folks around them. Who are those trusted referral sources that you can send patients to? Oftentimes we think so much as a young clinician, like I got to build up folks that will refer to me. I got to, I got to talk to physicians so they'll send me patients. It is as important, if not more important, that you develop those relationships so you know who you can refer to, who can you can bring into a patient's team to really maximize their recovery and the maintenance of their wellness and their fitness. And so I think that's just so huge. And it's not just the physicians, it's the dietitians, it's maybe their running coach, um, it's their family members. All of those folks are so key. Yeah, absolutely. We, we as providers, we, we should not be apprehensive of doing this. It's so important for the patient. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, again, when you talk about a, a bit about mentors and mentorship, um, this is where one of the things uh, and advice that I give students um, and young clinicians is that um, we often think about that mentor as like someone who is in my same career but further along that I look at and I'm like, I want to be where they are. And that's great. And those are important mentors to have, but to also look outside of your profession for those mm-hmm. mentors. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how can a dietitian help mentor you so that you can be better about, um, you know, working with folks 
um, that have you know, dietary issues or nutrition is a component of their recovery. Um, but even outside of healthcare, some of my greatest mentors that have really challenged me and pushed me are folks that are peer mentors outside of our profession that that have a completely different lens and way of thinking. And maybe are they don't see the that's how we do it. That's how it's always been done that we might see within our profession. So having those outside mentors and those peer mentors that are at the same place in their career as you, that you can kind of push each other forward. And I think kind of having a variety of types of mentors is really important. Yes, that is so, so important. Um, thank you for that. I did not even think about that part of my mentorship. Um, so go ahead. Honestly, there's a couple other um, you know, kind of trends that I'm seeing that I just want to touch on. Um, one of them is around um, around payment and reimbursement and advocacy. I think um, I hope that we're going to see increasing numbers of clinicians engaged in advocacy, and um, that's so important for us to be able to make sure that we're continuing to get reimbursed in ways that support you know the ability to pay your student loans for us to be able to have salaries that that change as inflation changes. And it, and I think that sometimes we think like, oh, APTA's got it. You know, that's what they do. Um, but it's every single one of us that need to engage in that advocacy so that we can preserve our profession as such a great profession to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very important. Um, so, you know, being being in physical therapy profession and academia for so long, looking back at you uh, when you graduated from physical therapy school, what kind of advice would you give yourself um, moving forward? Yeah, I have three bits of advice I'd give myself. Um, the first one, and and Zuz, on some of this advice I'm still giving myself because I'm like, yeah, I'm still learning and growing on a lot of these things. But the first we never stop learning. Right? And sometimes we have to learn the same lesson a couple of times. Um, the first bit of advice I would give myself is to not rush. Um, I think that sometimes, and you've talked about it, we, you and Gina spoke about like, we finished clinical practice and the next thing we got to do is we got to get our, you know, our OCS or, you know, our CSCS or the next thing. And we were really a rushing through what we see are like the steps to excellence and we can forget that like time is an important component um to developing mm -hmm. excellence and so to not rush i think if i had rushed i would not be as happy as i am right now in the work that i do because i would be like okay i'm a neurotherapist so i gotta keep going and i gotta get my mm -hmm. ncs and um that kind of ties into um, my next bit of advice. So um, I'm a big fan of Adam Grant, who is an organizational psychologist. And he has this great book called Rethinking. And it's all about how we continue to make sure we continue to change our minds and rethink the things that we think are facts and, you know, that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, he talks about um, the problem with having a five-year plan or a 10-year plan that, that looking at the business research, like it's really important to have a plan, but the people that are most successful may spend the time to make a plan. And that's probably the most important part of it is like the thinking and the, the consideration of yourself and what you want and that type of stuff. But when we make a plan and we feel like we have to stick to it, 
Did we shut ourselves off from opportunity? So again, if I had made that plan of I'm going to be a neurotherapist and I'm going to be, get my neurocertification and this is who I'll be, I maybe not a, would not have given myself the space to say, I don't like this. Right. And so making a plan, like there's value in making the plan. Just don't feel like you have to stick to it. Give yourself exactly to, to change and to adapt. Um, we can get too focused on the plan ahead that we miss out on really cool opportunities because it's not on the plan. Um, and I think my last bit of advice I would give myself, and this is what I'm still working on, um, is, you know, Zuzani, you work with a ton of athletes and none of them, especially these really successful athletes you work with, them, none of them push themselves to get stronger and faster 100% of the year where, you know, for 10 years straight, you cycle, you go through periods where you're pushing really hard. And then you go through periods of, of slowing down and rest and recovery before you can push to that next level. Right. So we have these like training cycles for our athletes to not forget to give that to ourselves, to have those periods where we're doing our job. Well, we're, you know, comfortable with where we're at and we have a moment to breathe. Maybe you've, you need to push in a different part of your life. Maybe, you know, family stuff is where you need to really push for a while, but to give ourselves the space to say, this is, this is like, you know, uh, a taper month where I need to just kind of be in rest and recovery before I can push and challenge myself again. So not forget to give ourselves those training cycles in our professional lives. Yeah, absolutely. And we can also think about it as an area of focus. When, uh, you know, when um, we have uh, midterms or finals, all our focus goes into learning and trying to retain all this information. And then afterwards, we kind of uh, cruise and do something else, maybe exercise a little bit more. And I think that comes through when we talk about physical therapist career for younger clinicians. You know, we always talk about the work-life balance, but we don't really know what that is. And in my personal opinion is there is no work-life balance. There are areas of focus like you talked about um, when you really have to focus your energy on something that you want to achieve and then let something else go into a little bit of like a like a lull, but then you pick it up later on. And it can be um, education. It can be physical therapy career, work, exercise, travel, family, um, and so on. So, yes, thank you. That's a very important point. Yeah, I, I try. I, we, you know, we get these students that start in our program and they've had to work so hard. They've had to be their best. Um, and really push to get into PT school. And then it can be really hard because there's so much on their plate. Um, I, and so I, I talked with them about like, you've got to decide what you can get a B in. And mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a class or a task, but sometimes when you have tons of assignments, like not every single thing has to be an A plus all the time. It can't be, that's too much. And I think about that in everyday life. There are days where it's like, you know, my kids are eating mac and cheese and chicken nuggets and watching too much television. And I got a C plus in parenting that day, but I really had this crucial work I had to get done at work and I needed to get an A there. And so I knew that like, I can't do all the things that, you know, I feel like I should do as a parent, but my kids are going to be fine. 
And that's okay for this moment because I have to focus more on this other area and giving ourselves space to say, you know what, you know, I'm going to do a C plus job on this today because something else is more important at this moment and being okay with that. That's the hard thing is being okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very, very important. Um, I would like to review these three points because they're so important, the advices that you got yourself. Uh, first one was don't rush. Uh, pretty much new clinicians, we have to get our feet wet and expose ourselves to many, many different um, cases to get better, to be good in what we do. The second one you mentioned was um, you have to keep your mind open and always look for opportunities. Don't be worried about changing your plan, um, but know what you're going into. And the third one was, um, remind me, what was the third one? It was kind of around training cycles and training when, cycles. You're, when you're pushing in, in your professional life and when you're That's right. resting there. Yes, the, the good old work-life balance is probably going a little bit of out the window and we're thinking more about the areas of focus. Where where do we need to focus our energy to get at least the B or C if we need to get A in one area? So thank you. Thank you so much for this. Um, well, finally, you know, the question is, where do you see yourself, your career and your continued education business um, company uh, in about five or 10 years. And that's a great question. I was thinking about this one, Zuzana, and, and then I think about the advice I just told, told myself, right? Um, you know, I think that I, I have this feeling right now that um, I'm at this place um, where, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for us to grow Trailhead Learning Collective and to expand. And we're trying, um, you know, my partner, Audrey, and I are to really, make sure we make good sustainable decisions um, as we're taking into consideration, you know, what we want in our personal lives and our professional lives and for trailhead. And so we're really looking at ways that we can um, expand in ways that are sustainable. Um, So, you know, I see in the next kind of five, 10 years that we're going to be offering more retreats. We're going to be um, looking to bring in colleagues with different areas of expertise that we don't have so that we can increase the types of offerings. Um, and we're also working right now to put together our first um, interprofessional retreat because I really think, you know, in physical therapy education, healthcare education, we know and we have a lot of value um, in interprofessional education. So bringing folks from different professions together to learn together. And we expect folks to engage in interprofessional collaborative practice um, because it improves patient outcomes and everything when you're in clinical practice. But we don't often do continuing education together. We kind of stop learning together once we get out into our professions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this sounds amazing. Yeah. And so um, that's super exciting to start to look at ways we can bring um, different groups of providers together to learn from and with one another. Um, yeah, I'll keep an eye on that. Um, so where can people find you um, with, a, you know, with the academic profession or with a Trailhead Learning Collective? Yeah, so Trailhead Learning Collective, our website is trailheadlearn.com. Um, we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Trailhead Learning. Um, so there's lots of great information out there. Um, probably by the time um, this podcast is released, we will have announced um, kind of our 
first three retreats for 2024, um, which we're going to have some really exciting offerings there. So I'm excited um, for folks to start seeing those, get them on their schedule um, and get registered. And then um, you can find me um, at the University of Montana. So um, the uh, University of Montana Physical Therapy, their website. Um, if folks want to know more about um, academia, have questions about how to go into that, my email address is jennifer.bell at umontana.edu. So I'm more than happy to talk to folks about what a career in academia looks like um, and kind of how to move that direction, either as a new clinician or um, while still in physical therapy. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your information and willingness to really mentor and answer questions. And I would encourage everybody who is interested in the the transition or has questions about how to make it in academia, please talk to Jen. And also talking about the Trailhead Learning Collective. I've taken the retreat, the last running retreat, and it was amazing. And um, hopefully we'll do more of those. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for being able to spare your couple hours here. We, we've been chatting about this for a while and I'm super happy to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Well, Zizana, thanks so much for having me. It's been so fun to see, you know, over the last 17 years that we've known each other to see, you know, what you've done with your career and the you know, amazing impact you have. Um, I'm really excited you're doing this podcast because I know so many folks will get so much good information and advice from it. So thanks for having me on. That was a wealth of information from Dr. Jennifer Bell. I hope you enjoyed the show. And again, this show was brought to you by Runners Edge Alaska, a sports physical therapy clinic in Anchorage, Alaska, helping runners reach their full potential. See you next time.